invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 9 and then uh, to Luke chapter 1. First, Isaiah chapter 9, I'll be reading just verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, now into the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, this prayer from Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his preached word again this week. Father, we thank you for worship. We thank you for how you change us. Lord, we thank you in the power of your spirit that we come into your presence and we celebrate your goodness to us in Christ. We ask you now that you would be our teacher, that you would open our eyes to these words, uh, that you would move our hearts uh, so that we love you, oh God, and we love your kingdom, uh, we love your people uh, even more. Uh, So Lord, we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name, amen. Last weekend, Lisa and I attended the UK collage performance. Uh, Many of you know what that is because I saw you there. Uh, Collage is the annual choral musical Christmas production at the University of Kentucky. It is incredible. If you've never been, I encourage you to do it next year. But one of my favorite parts each year is the singing of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus from his famous Messiah. What happens without instruction every time at collage or any other performance of Hallelujah Chorus is sung? What does the audience instinctively do? They stand. It just happens. It's custom. No one has to tell you to do that. This act of standing has a tradition. It started all the way back with King George II in the 18th century when the Messiah was first performed in London. The story goes that as the the king heard these now famous words, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. That when the king of the British monarchy heard those words, he was so overcome 
that there was someone who was greater than him, that there was a kingdom which would last longer than his, and this king was God. He knew he was in the presence of God, and he had to stand. And then everyone else stood, and from generations going forward, we now stand when we hear these words, when we sing that our king, Jesus Christ, is God. When we recognize the holiness of our king, it's impossible that we do not respond. So with that in mind, this is our second week in Advent. In these four Sundays, we remember that we are a people who wait. We've been waiting for a long time. Our king Jesus came to this earth and he established his presence. He gave us his spirit. Now as we labor, as we live, we await his return at the completion of his kingdom when we will dwell with him forever and ever. And to help us as we wait, we don't just stand here, we don't just exist here, but rather we are engaged in his kingdom work. We're looking at these names from Isaiah chapter 9 to remind us of who this coming Savior is. From Isaiah 9, we see Jesus described with these four titles. He's our wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. And yes, he's Prince of Peace. Last week we saw that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. That is, he has supernatural knowledge. So it's wise for us to listen to him. Today we examine this description of Jesus that he is our mighty God. What a description of the Savior we celebrate and worship. And in this title alone, we really see the essence of the mystery of Christmas. This baby born to Mary and Joseph was no mere baby at all. We know that. This child was God in flesh. God the creator. Here he was as a child. Even as I wrote these words this week, I had to pause and simply reflect. What a statement I just wrote on this piece of paper. What a miracle. What a mystery. What a reality. And yet this is our faith. That God became one of us. Theologians, of course, call this mystery uh, the incarnation. That our faith is dependent upon the God of the universe taking on human flesh. And we believe this. That God became one of us while continuing to be God. And of course, it's exactly what Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, did. So this morning, recognizing who we believe this baby Jesus to be that he is both our God and our king, the question before us is, what does our king want? What is his kingdom about? What is the nature of this kingdom? Psalm 115 says this about God. It says that our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. So the question is, what pleases our mighty God, Jesus Christ? What is he pleased to do? What are his intentions? What are his desires? Now, we could answer this question really from almost any place in Scripture, uh, but I have chosen this prayer from Jesus' earthly mother to answer it for us. So if you'll keep your Bibles open to Luke 1, we hear these words from Mary, the mother of Jesus, in a way in which no other person in all of human history could ponder the incarnation. Truly, Mary had thoughts and insights into this like no one else. This blessed woman, 
to carry God in her womb, conceived by the Holy Spirit, ministered to by angels. She offered this prayer to our Heavenly Father, and I want us to see the Lord's intent by what she prayed. Notice four aspects of the power of our mighty God this morning revealed from Mary's prayer about this coming Jesus. I want you to notice first, Jesus is Savior. Secondly, Jesus is merciful. Thirdly, Jesus is for the oppressed. And fourthly, Jesus is faithful. He's Savior, he's merciful, he's for the oppressed, and he's faithful. And may we as a church respond to the holiness of his majesty with reverence and obedience, which would cause us to acknowledge the presence of God, our King. All right, first, let's consider this mighty God. Jesus is Savior. Look back at verses 46 through 49. Again, keep your Bibles open. As Mary began this prayer, the context revealed is in the paragraph just above. It says she had just received the supernatural news about her pregnancy. It really was unbelievable. She had heard from the angel about what the Holy Spirit had done, how blessed she was, how chosen she was to carry this baby. Then she visited her relative Elizabeth and shared the news with her. And in some way, this unimaginable conversation, Elizabeth helped her process the reality of what had taken place. Can you imagine their conversation? Even in conjunction with Elizabeth's own pregnancy. Elizabeth proclaimed to being, quote, in the presence of Mary, the mother of my Lord. Who was this baby that Mary carried? He was the Lord. He was the master. He was like no other baby. Again, just imagine Mary. How could she process what was taking place? How could she even imagine such a miracle, such an honor? But yet, here was her reality. A virgin and pregnant with God, by God. How does Mary respond to such a miracle? After hearing these words from the angel and these words from Elizabeth, what does Mary do? She prays. That's right. What else could one do? She goes to her father in prayer and notice the words which flowed in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in, in God my Savior. What did Mary mean in this prayer? When she called God her Savior, what did she have in mind? In so many ways, this is the heart of Christmas. Don't miss this. Now, certainly, in verses 48, we could see that there was a saving component, if you will, of God's esteem for Mary. She was a lowly, humble person, nothing significant about her in a cultural sense. And now, she's going to be remembered for generation upon generation upon generation. And yet in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel spoke to Joseph and explained the name that this baby was to have, that his name would be Jesus who would, quote, save the people from their sins. It seems Mary also knew that God was her savior in the sense that her baby was the one who would come and take away the punishment of sin for her and for the world. Her baby Jesus was savior. Why did Elizabeth celebrate? Why was Mary in a spirit of praise and magnifying the Lord? 
It's because this one would come and take her sin away. This baby came as a promise all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 to give life by saving us from the wrath of sin. What God chose to do in and through Mary really is beyond our comprehension. Is it not? But yet in Mary's prayer reveals that we can't understand it. What Jesus wants is to take our sin away. Our King Jesus is powerful enough to do that very thing. As I was praying and preparing for this this week, it it did just dawn on me and let this sink in. Do you see how severe our sin must be? Consider the magnitude of what had to take place for our sin to be removed. When in the Garden of Eden, mankind willfully refused to obey God's good law and we became his enemies, do you see what was required now? What it took for sin to be removed? It required God to humble himself in such a way that now Jesus is being born in Mary's womb. But you know what that means for us this morning? Remember, Jesus is our mighty God. It means that, yes, he could save Mary, but it also means he can save anyone. His mightiness reveals his power. He can remove your sin even today. There is no one sin who he cannot remove. Two weeks ago, I had lunch with one of our new campus outreach staff guys. He's new to town, and I just wanted to get to know him a little bit and ask him if he would share with me how he came to know the Lord. And he shared a story that was pretty similar to other stories I had heard, and it's just as beautiful every single time. He was a freshman in college. He wasn't pursuing the Lord in any way at all. And an older guy, a staff guy with Campus Outreach, helped him move into his dorm. And through the midst of that, they began a friendship. That friendship turned into him being invited to a Bible study. That Bible study turned into him hearing things that he had never heard before. And what happened in the fall of his freshman year? He's a whole new person. The spirit of Jesus alive inside of him. He now has life. He was converted. Why? Because Jesus is our savior. And he's powerful. And he can do it. Jesus, our mighty God, is our savior. Second aspect to notice though, Jesus is not just savior. Look at verses 49 through 50. Jesus is merciful. You see here that Mary's faith in Christ was demonstrated in her prayer to our Heavenly Father, praising him for her sins being forgiven. He was her Savior and she trusted him, but notice her prayers went beyond just herself. Prayers moved out toward all of us. I love these words. We see this dominant attribute of the heart of our Savior. He did not come just to take our sin away, but rather he loves us. Notice verse 50. This mighty God is one who is merciful. You know what mercy really is? It's that God is steadfast in his love. It's that his relationship to us is one of loving kindness. Using the language here from Psalm 103... Mary reveals that our mighty God did not just reveal himself to her alone, but this is who who will fear him, all who fear him, from one generation to the next. 
And church, what that means is even today, his mercy exists. Yes, Jesus came to take our sin, but do you see his heart? He came in love for you. He is in love with you. His love is steadfast to us all today. Mercy is what God wants to give us. It is his desire to grant it. Mercy is God's desire not to punish us, but rather to give us something else. Louis Palau, a Christian writer, tells the story of mercy from the French leader Napoleon. He tells the story that there was a certain criminal who committed the same crime twice. He was appropriately given the death penalty as a result of his crime, but since he committed it twice, he was especially guilty. The mother of the criminal was given permission to speak to Napoleon on behalf of her son. And the mother pled for mercy for her son. And Napoleon responded with, your son didn't deserve mercy. In which the mother responded, sir, I know it would not be mercy if he deserved it. I do not ask for justice. I plead for mercy. Napoleon, now realizing the request, was moved to spare the criminal. You see, mercy assumes we are guilty. We are. We are these criminals. God deserves, we deserve to be punished by him. But what does he want to give instead? He wants to give mercy. Church, do you see the powerful heart of your Savior this morning? Do you see the heart of our mighty God? Only God can love like this. Only he can. We don't have that ability. We do not have to convince him to be merciful to us. Rather, he wants to. So maybe this Advent season, it's time for you to join Mary in celebrating your Savior's heart for you. Maybe it's time for you to pray in thanksgiving. Thank you for your mercy. Maybe this year for Christmas, it is time for you to recognize he took justice upon himself so that we receive his kindness. You see, the mercy that Mary proclaimed would exist for all generations, and that includes us this morning. Our mighty God, Jesus. What does he want? He wants to give us mercy. So first... We see that Jesus is Savior. Secondly, we see that Jesus is merciful. But the third aspect of our mighty God, look at verses 51 and 53 of Mary's prayer. And notice that Jesus is for the oppressed. Hang with me here. These are some of the most hopeful words in all of Scripture. And all that we desire and all that we hope that someday peace will exist on this world, we see the promise of that very fact here. Notice, our hope for true peace is found in what Jesus wants to do with those who are currently preventing peace. Do you see this? As Mary prays her mighty God, we now observe the work of God, not just in her life, but ultimately the plan for the entire universe. Verse 51, Mary uses this metaphor of the arm of God, another way of saying a mighty God. That is, our God can do this. The strength of the Lord is revealed. That which he can do, that which he will do, is spoken here. Seriously, this is good news for the world. 
Here's what God's powerful arm is going to do. It's two things. He's going to scatter and he's going to exalt. Jesus' desire for the world is that the powerful rulers who do not fear him, who do not act with kindness, who do not exist in love, who do not care for him or for his kingdom, ultimately those rulers will be overturned and replaced by exalting the lowly of the world who do fear God and love his kingdom. And this is our destiny in Jesus' ways and Jesus' timing. Do you believe this? How will this happen? It will come by the mighty hand of Jesus all over this world. Consider Mary's personal situation. Think about what her life looked like. Here she was, a poor Jewish female under the rule of a Roman system which constantly oppressed her from taxation to legal matters. And what was her hope under this system of oppression? Her hope is that a king would come, a king who loves righteousness, who loves truth, and who loves his people, and overthrow that kingdom and set up one that will last. Imagine any government system, even today, which promotes itself while the citizens suffer and are never given justice. We can imagine that, can't we? What can the oppressed do? Seriously, what can a slave do? Ultimately, Jesus demonstrates his kingdom as illustrated throughout the book of Exodus in our Bibles, where those who look to God and trust a deliverer who will both come and overcome and replace the ungodly. And the people of faith are delivered so that the name of God is praised. This is a picture of what our lives will be like when Jesus returns. This is our destiny. Some today truly lived in an oppressed state. Some today experience oppression more than others based on race, etc., Some today are oppressed because of where they live or the religion they practice. Every single one of us are marked with some form of oppression because Satan is alive and this curse still exists. And thus, what is our hope in this world? It is that peace will come when Christ comes. Can I ask you this morning, doesn't Advent cause us just to dream a little Advent forces us to dream of a day when Christ will return and this picture is presented here will become our reality. When Jesus' reign is experienced in its fullness and all we know is his peace. Again, this is our destiny. Remember the great Christmas hymn, O Holy Night? I won't sing it for you, but I'll read this. This is about Jesus. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, what? All oppression will cease. 
This is our story, our destiny. Church, may we today be a church which celebrates, yes, our liberty in Christ, where we cannot be condemned, where Satan has no hold over us. May we be a church which, which works alongside the desire of Jesus on this world today to lift the oppression of those who truly do suffer into the liberty that is Jesus. I love this picture in verse 53. We see more of the heart of Jesus for the oppressed. What does our King Jesus do for those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who are hungry? It says that he will fill the hungry with good things. Again, Jesus does not just remove us from oppression. He cares for us along the way. How is Jesus our mighty God this morning? For every single one of us, whether we're in a place of hurt this morning or a place of blessing this morning, in Christ, he gives us good things. He does. Even in a fallen world, isn't our Savior good to us? Lastly, let's end with this final aspect of Jesus here portrayed by Mary. And notice in verses 54 and 55, Jesus is faithful. What we're going to see is Mary was a great theologian. Mary has worshipped God for being her Savior, for extending his mercy, for the hope of uh, eventual perfect justice. But we do have to ask, where's all this confidence come from in Mary? Yes, there was the miracle of this virgin being with child. That was quite enough. But that's not what Mary says in her prayer. Rather, her theology comes out. And she quotes, she references someone. And this is our father Abraham. This great Old Testament patriarch. In Genesis, God's story of mercy began with his promise of Israel. This promise to Abraham that he would be the God of his people and to their children. God told Abraham that he would be his God. And our mighty God made a covenant, a promised relationship to Abraham and to all of his descendants. And it would be everlasting. So this morning from Galatians chapter 3, we know this. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant. You see, Mary's confidence in God is the exact same as our confidence. What God promised to do, he will do. Our mighty God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way to Mary and Joseph. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are part of this. We receive his promise. Jesus was faithful. Jesus is faithful. Jesus will be faithful forevermore. This morning, if you know Christ, you have the faithfulness of God with you. You really can trust him. I've mentioned a couple of favorite Christmas songs that have affected me this morning. The Hallelujah Chorus, I love how we stand. Oh, Holy Night, I love to sing that. But there's one song that comes on the radio this time of year that honestly, I have never really liked. And you'll know it. The song is, Mary, Did You Know? And it asks the question of the extent of how much Mary had knowledge of her baby Jesus. Again, I suspect you know these words. For me growing up, there was something about Kenny Rogers singing about the incarnation. It just seemed strange and it didn't work for me. But with this passage, 
as I ponder Jesus as our mighty God, the miracle really is, Mary, did you know when you kiss your little boy, you kiss the face of God. You kiss the face of God. Church, this is our mighty God. Jesus does whatever he pleases. And he is pleased this morning to forgive you of your sins. He's pleased this morning to extend you his mercy. He's pleased this morning to ultimately lift all the chains of oppression. This is our Savior. This is what the cross has accomplished. Church, Jesus is our peace. This year, may we trust him together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and I'll transition us to the Lord's table and we will come and feast with him yet again at his communion table. Father, the miracle that it's experienced of you becoming one of us, you being qualified to take our sin, your willingness to extend your mercy. Lord, it's too good for us to accept, and yet it is true, and it is our faith. You are our faith. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that, Jesus, we believe that you are, yes, God, and that you are our Lord and you love us. Father, draw us near to you, we pray, and now we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 